0: Welcome to Too Smart For This, a podcast that gives you the tools to love yourself and build your life on your own terms. We talk everything from finances to body love to pop culture, all in the hopes to inspire your confidence. I'm your host, Alexis Barber, and let's get into the episode. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Too Smart For This. Today, I am so insanely excited to have The founder of Holisticism, Michelle, on the podcast because I discovered her when I interviewed Helen Phelan. Go check that episode out. Um, But she is the founder of Holisticism, which is an incredible wellness brand that is focused on making wellness more inclusive. It also offers tons of courses, one of which I just signed up for, the Profitable Content Creator Lab. And it's very focused on inclusive and intuitive business. So, Michelle started this company because she was originally diagnosed with epilepsy, she was a professional dancer, and she took some prescription drugs that really just messed with her, and so she grew up to learn a lot more about holistic wellness practices. She lives in LA, so of course, that's a big part of the culture there, and she found a form of well-being that worked for her. Um, Something she says in her bio is, you know what's not cool, the fact that only privileged wealthy in the know cool white people have access to the majority of the wellness industry, and it feels very inaccessible. So her mission is really to change that, and I think she's done that by creating this incredible business that reviews actual wellness products, that offers courses to people that are very accessible, and she uses her background in tech, her experiences with health and mystical practices, so very spiritual vibes here, to build what is now holisticism, and I have learned such a big amount of information from her podcast, The 12th House, which is part of Holisticism's brand. If you are someone who's interested in wellness, if you're someone who's interested in content creation, if you're someone who's interested in business and being inclusive in the way that you create your world, your life, your business – This podcast is invaluable and although I'm not someone who is very into all these spiritual practices before I started listening to this, I've really been appreciative of the way that Michelle says like take what works for you and leave what doesn't. So if you're not someone who's interested in spell work like she is, like I have no interest in that, you don't have to be to be able to get a ton of value from her. So this is a long intro. I am just so excited. We really just start off this conversation and by getting right into it. So thank you so much for listening. Definitely leave a review, follow me on Instagram, all of that, and have a wonderful day. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Binto, personalized for your body and no one else's. Binto is the women's health company on a mission to help women everywhere get access to safe and effective over-the-counter supplements, alongside access to licensed healthcare professionals, all for an attainable price point. Binto's subscription of personalized supplements made just for you delivers right to your door each month so you never have to think about reordering your supplements or running out to the store. Your supplements come pre-dosed in individual daily packets with your name on them, so it's easy to stick to your supplement routine and enjoy taking them every day. Here's how it works. Go to MyBinto.com, take the health survey, and get matched to your personalized supplement routine. The short survey will ask you general questions and questions about your reproductive health. You'll get matched to a suite of supplements just for your needs, and you'll get matched to real women's health providers, like a nurse or physician assistant, who will help you every step of the way. Bento was founded by women's health nurse Susie Devine, a fertility nurse who realized women were doing a lot of the guesswork themselves and waiting way too long to get answers and reliefs for their daily symptoms. Bento's providers offer online chat support and telehealth appointments to make sure you feel supported, informed, and empowered when it comes to your health. All of Bento supplements are organic, non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, preservative-free, and made in the U.S. under good manufacturing practices guidelines. If you'd like to get your Bento supplement routine, get started today at mybento.com and up your glow with Bento. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so, so excited to talk to you. Um, I've been raving about your podcast for so long, and I'm excited to join the Profitable Content Creator Lab next week
1: as well. So I must say this is a huge honor. <laughs> oh my God, you're so sweet. I'm so happy to be here and so delighted to be talking to you and happy to lead you through PCCL in the next couple of weeks.
0: Yes, I'm so excited. So right. I'll just jump into it with this first question, which is how do you personally like balance um, creating wealth for Through holisticism with being an anti capitalist, this is something I've been struggling with and discussing a lot on my stories. And Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to hear like what your personal approach is and then also the evolution of how you got
1: to that approach. Yeah, that's such a great question. And like full transparency my relationship with wealth, with money, with resource. With capitalism is constantly changing and evolving because the more I learn, the better I'm able to sort of be grounded in my perspective. But I I think that, like, especially over the last probably three years that I've been running Holisticism, um, being more inclusive and creating a more equitable world has been really important to me. And um, understanding that capitalism sort of goes hand in hand with oppression, or at least capitalism in the way that we embody it today, which doesn't necessarily have to be the way capitalism is. It just, it's how it's manifesting in our lives currently. Um, It perpetuates oppression. So what I'm trying to think about constantly is how can my actions eliminate oppression? um, And how can I exist in this world where this is the norm and this is systemic and uh, create a new normal? So I think about, how we can divest from capitalism and the problematic aspects of capitalism, because the technical definition is just free markets, right? And free choice and meritocracy, which we know is not really real. There's a the myth of meritocracy, but that's what capitalism sort of upholds. And what I want to do is sort of step away from the aspects of capitalism that actively oppress people and um, build a business that doesn't do that. And I I don't think that wealth in general or um, being resourced necessarily has to go um, alongside capitalism in general, right? Like we can acquire wealth, we can accrue wealth without hoarding resources from other people. And I think that that's the sort of binary structure that's been created oftentimes, especially in capitalist structures, is the have and the have nots that we have to just acquire as much wealth as, as we possibly can, as many assets as we can and hoard them for um, to center the individual, to make sure that we are safe, to make sure that our family is good. When in reality, like we have way more than what we need. If we more evenly distributed assets around the world, then we wouldn't have poverty. We wouldn't have people st- like, you know, starving. We wouldn't have what's happening in India right now, which is a lack of vaccines Um, because India, while they're a huge distributor of vaccines, they sold all their vaccines to other countries. So, And the United States is like hoarding vaccines. I'm, I'm getting off topic. Often, there's a mindset around money that it's all or nothing, right? And that if I'm resourced, if I'm taken care of, if I have what I need, which we could maybe say is like a roof over my head, enough money to make sure that I can get the food that I want on my table and spend the time that I want to spend with my family and doing things that I love and resting, because by the way, like being resourced means that you have the spaciousness to rest um, and having choice. All of those things don't require like millions and millions of dollars. They, right. they are, you can be considered wealthy if you have choice. And so I think about accruing wealth and making money in terms of, well, I want to make sure that I'm well resourced because when I'm well resourced, I know that I pour back into my community and that's also when I do my best work. When I I've been in the position where I had no money, you know, where I was like living in a really shitty situation and working like 17 hours a day and, you know, it was It was a time in my early 20s, but it it wasn't, like, where I could be the best version of myself because I was on this hamster wheel of, like, just trying to make ends meet, you know? I I couldn't go to the doctor because I didn't have time to take time off to go to the doctor and my doctor wasn't open, you know, at night after 5 p.m. or on the weekends. And so many people are in that situation. That's considered time poverty, right? So... Absolutely. I think that I, I might be going a little bit off topic here, but to pull it back to your question, I think it's possible to make sure that we're personally well resourced and to also care about making sure that other people are well resourced in terms of having a government that um, supports social action, that supports social programs, that supports parents, that supports people that are disabled by society um, that supports the elderly. Um, you know, all of that means that we are just helping people become well-resourced so that they can live and they don't have to be in a cycle of scarcity or marginalization all the time. And when we are in that, when we're afraid of becoming marginalized, I think is when scarcity mindset kicks in, And we do think that we have to hoard, right? Because our mindset goes to, well, no one will take care of me. No one will have my back. Mm -hmm. I have to have my back. So I'm going to, you know, save all this money and put it into an offshore bank account to make sure that just in case something happens, me and mine are taken care of. And that's very individualistic as opposed to thinking about the community and what's best for the community. So um, I think that that's what I'm thinking about of like, okay, how can I make sure that I'm centering... My community, and I'm part of my community. So I need to take care of myself too, but like not above my neighbor. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And I don't hear it thought about like that. I think there's often like the community based person who's very consumed with like what's going on around them and thinks that it's not possible for them to be okay unless everyone else is okay, which is how I feel about my personal like family. And then there's also that that concept of hoarding wealth that comes with a scarcity mindset that you said that leads to, I think, where we are with capitalism at the current moment in the United States, at least. And it's so interesting because I come from a super low-income background of like a teen mom, oldest of eight kids. I'm from Ferguson, like just like a very crazy background. And to go into a world of in elite college and then later working full time at the company I work at. It's just been it's just very crazy to watch the cultural differences there and how a lack of inclusivity early on in the formation of those businesses has led to more wealth hoarding or more toxic environments or more problems. And so when you are building holisticism, I guess in the past like four or so years or however long it's been, I don't want to Take away from your work. But um that is that how did you make the decision to bring inclusivity into it? And how have you done that? And what can the people do who are starting their own businesses if they want to bring in that inclusivity and that community mindset?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not perfect at it. So and I'm like I said, I'm constantly learning from people who are way smarter than me. So it's it's something that's fluid and that's changing, but I think that holisticism, I know that I started holisticism with inclusion being at the center of it. You know, I wanted to create a space where every where I felt welcome. And I know that sounds ridiculous because I'm like a white woman with thin privilege who was living in New York and LA, so like of all people I should feel included quote unquote in the wellness space, but I didn't. I I wanted to talk about politics and my use my big brain and I wanted to like be funny and sort of like say the fuck word right and I felt like everyone in wellness was always wearing like I don't know all linen jumpsuits and like not wearing a bra and not getting vaccinated and only drinking like you know raw organic chlorella kale juice and like while all that stuff is great like I love chlorella I also wanted to be able to talk about like I wanted to talk about social action and I wanted to also look at things like astrology and be like, yeah, a little weird though, right? And like, <laughs> yeah, I believe in it, but like it's a bit weird or like, hey, you might have accidentally joined a cult. Like maybe we should talk about that and and just look at the wellness and well-being space with a little bit more of a skeptical perspective and maybe like a more grounded perspective because it felt so I felt like I had to like completely shut down an aspect of my brain in order to buy into wellness. And like, I'm not about that. I don't want to shut off any part of me. I want to be 100% myself and I want spaces where I feel hundred percent safe to be myself. And so I started holisticism with that super narrow perspective of like, I want people to be able to be intellectual and question What's happening here, and also be like totally mystical and magical, and lean into both sides, because I was a woman working in tech, and I felt like I could only be one version of myself at work, right? I had to be this like intelligent, thoughtful, sharp version of me, which worked really well. But also mm-hmm. at night, I was like pulling tarot cards and like doing witch shit and like reading astrology. <laughs> and and I noticed all these people around me, especially women, would sort of like, you know, they'd slack me covertly and be like, hey, so like, tell me more about that astrology thing, or what's the deal with Reiki or blah, blah, blah. And I saw so many other people like me, who wanted to embody these two sides and didn't feel like there was a place for them to do that. So that's how holisticism started. But as I sort of like double clicked on that idea, even more, I I noticed, you know, obviously, the wellness world is really racist. You know, it's, it's, Made and centers white cis straight rich women uh, for the most part, and who you know whose names rhyme with weneth Waltrow, and <laughs> and like that's whatever that is what it is, and that's not really like I don't even feel comfortable in that world. So what might what might happen if we decenter that person and we center the people who typically are not centered in the wellness space? And so just like being curious about what that could look like and what that world might sound like or feel like, I think has been the guiding light at holisticism often. And, and also just trying to build that community by inviting those people in and asking them for their opinion and asking them what they need and then centering them, um, I think has been the way that we've continued to evolve. And, and now I'm so lucky to be able to pay a team, you know, to work with me. And our team is really, we've all had really different backgrounds and we have different life experiences and, um, and that's, and, you know, we have different identities and I think that that's really helpful too. And hopefully we can continue to expand our team and invite even more people in.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I love hearing your, all your team discussions on the 12th house so much, um, They're so smart
1: and so funny. They're like so much better than me at podcasting. It's amazing. I'm like, you guys should run this. (laughs) It
0: was so good. They're so good. I love Thais so
1: much. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Thais was my first coworker. You know, I never hired anyone. I worked by myself for like three years and then I really needed help. And Thais kind of dropped in out of nowhere like a little fairy godmother Uh And also, but like a skeptical fairy godmother, because I would ask her to, you know, I hired her and then I'd ask her to do something. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay, (laughs) cool. (laughs) So, okay, I'll do it. I
0: love this. (laughs) I love how you talk about the wellness days being so problematic. I think that's what Um, has bothered me about it for so long and why I've struggled to define my role in this niche ever since my accidental content creator life took off. But the, and I think it is because it is so centered around that one person. And we've started to unpack that by like saying like death to die culture, all this stuff. But the end of the day, there is still these people who are rich, skinny, white, often blonde, Women who are so like, like you said, like not getting vaccinated and like calling it wellness. yeah, and it's really hard as like someone who's from a marginalized background to watch all of this happen, but then also have a weird like role in talking about it. And so to find holisticism was like a very big moment to feel like there was progress being made in that area. So I'm very grateful for that. And I think, um, part of the inclusivity comes with being a, a conscious consumer, which you all talk about a lot. So when it comes to consumption um, in terms of content, how do you sort of like balance being a conscious like content consumer as a, uh, in addition to everything you talk about with holisticism, holisticism of being a, a conscious consumer in the physical world?
1: Mm, Good question. I mean, I take in a ton of content. So some months, some weeks are better than others. Like sometimes I'm just like scrolling on TikTok, you know, on the couch and my husband's like, you need to come to bed. (laughs) I'm like, this is so funny. (laughs) Let's talk. And, um, but I do a lot of research and that's actually kind of how holisticism started. I've always been like, I love reading and learning. I'm such a nerd. And, um, I love going on deep dives. I just like love researching shit because I want to understand how things work. And I think we often only get like one side or the sort of top level perspective um, from the news media. And I think that's why podcasting is so cool because we're sort of democratizing how we tell stories and how we, we receive information. And the people who are creating those stories or crafting those stories are not the traditional, you know, white men who have been in charge of them. Um, but when Holisticism first started, it was a newsletter that I would share resources around wellness and things that pertain to wellness. So I would share news stories and articles and um, ideas and podcasts that pertain to well being, whether it was, hey, there was a new legislation passed around abortion because that obviously contributes to well being and men- women's health, to this idea around mental wellness, to um, there's a full moon in Scorpio and here's what you can do this week in order to embody it. And that's kind of been the through line of holisticism I feel like this whole time is resource sharing and education, which is another way that we can like really make our work more accessible and more inclusive is it's free to share content. You know, I make a ton of content that's really valuable, that's invaluable to people and they don't have to pay me anything to get it um, or Mm -hmm. I hope it's invaluable. But I think about that part of my job is to take in as much content as I can and, and high caliber content as I can and um, sort of like, I guess, metabolize it into something and, and then sort of spit it out into something that people can relate to. And that's a tr- that's a form of accessibility too, right? It's taking maybe um, a perspective, like if we talk about Bitcoin, right? Someone who's not into Bitcoin at all might not understand the implications of what it means to move into like... To move into this alternative t- form of currency. And mm-hmm. if I can sort of take that and um, relay it to them in a language that they understand so that they know how it pertains to their well being, then that's another form of, of accessibility in my book. So um, I guess that's what I'm doing all day long. I have my own little methods. I use this thing called Notion, and um, I have like five different email addresses that I get newsletters and news and information sent to that I go through like pretty much every morning. And then um, at the end of the week, I put it all together. And then I put the best news stories inside the cusp, which is our members community.
0: Wow. So much, so much to discuss. Okay. <laughs> I, I love it. I think that um, consuming great content is definitely, obviously what ends up bringing you here is like through that research on that side. Um, and you say you said this started as a newsletter. Where did you recognize like being... I know you worked in tech before this. Where did you recognize that entrepreneurship was for you? Because it is not for everyone, as like I'm sure you're aware. Um, where did you decide, like, okay, I wanted to take this for me full time? And how did you take that experience to build out a lot of the courses that you have now?
1: I never wanted to start a business. Never, ever. Like, I never wanted to start a business. I wanted to be a professional dancer. And so that's what I did. And I studied dance in school and I danced professionally in New York. And, um, you know, part of being a dancer means that you're picking up gigs all the time and you're, you kind of become a little business because you mm-hmm. are taking on other projects. And um, that was fascinating to me and also really challenging. And I ended up getting a gig. Um, I went back to school to become a nutritionist and then I got a gig as sort of this trainer advisor at this fitness studio in New York and I helped grow that which was a brick and mortar space and eventually I got good enough at it at a pretty young age that they asked me to open a west coast location so I did and I was 24 I like had this you know million dollar lease that I was sitting on I hired mm-hmm. a team of like you know 25 people ran the studio, um, was training like the Beverly Hills housewives and um, <laughs> was running a business that I was fully and woefully unprepared to run uh, because literally no one had trained me and it was kind of just got thrown to the wolves and I learned a ton and it was also super stressful and I I was miserable. Like I was I was the most unhealthy mentally that I've ever been. And that's when I ended up quitting and deciding, well, really what what was the straw that broke the camel's back was I just felt like I wasn't really helping anyone. You know, I was like helping rich white ladies get skinny, but that kind of like wasn't my bag, you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And when I thought about who made the most impact in the world, it looked like not the artists and not the creators necessarily and not the teachers and not the helpers. That was like a one-to-one model. It looked like one-to-many, it looked like companies, companies that could make this gigantic impact on, on millions of people. And I figured, well, if I wanna make an impact, then I have to figure out how, to co- how a company works because I wanna help lots of people. So I ended up joining a startup and uh, I was like employee five or six and just seeing it grow, you know, again, I was like, I never want to do this. This is horrible. Like this is this is not right. fun. But but also like, well, if these idiots can do it. Like I could certainly start a business. I just, this sounds terrible. Like no one knows what they're doing. It's so stressful. They're like, mm. they're playing with other people's money. They're letting people down all the time. Like I would never want to run a business like that. And eventually I worked for enough startups and was at the beginning of enough companies to see that like, In the beginning, no one knows what they're doing. Even in the middle, no one knows what they're doing. It's okay. And um, you actually, like, as long as you have a clear sort of vision for yourself of, like, what you want to – how you want to help and you stay in love with the problem and not fall in love with your solution for the problem, then it can be really fun. It can be really interesting. And you can also make it the way you want to make it. So, like, the way that I I saw – a bunch of tech bros in the startup space and the tech space run their companies. I didn't have to run my company like them. I could choose a different way. And um, that was when entrepreneurship started to feel exciting for me. Before I changed, before that, my mindset was this is hard and I don't really want to do this, but this is the only way to help people. For me, this is the most feasible way for me to help people. And it kind Mm -hmm. of felt like a little bit of a trap. Like, I don't have another choice. I don't have – I didn't feel like I had another option, Uh, which is not true. It's just, like, that's what I thought at that moment in time. And when I was able to sort of flip it and be like, well, I can do it the way I want. I don't have to do it the way that everyone tells me to do it. There's got to be a more magical way. There's got to be a more fun way to do this. That's when it felt like the world really opened up.
0: Wow. I think – yeah, I mean, I guess it wasn't probably until – very recently, when like learning about entrepreneurship, which for context, I m- minored in entrepreneurship in college, nice. and it was just like not a real thing, but it was still very, it was very venture capital, you know, heavy. And to me, like, I'm just, I've always been skeptical of venture capital because it's a fleet, but then you don't own it anymore. And so to hear other people talk about that is very helpful. But I also am. It's like, very appreciative of this concept of, like, you don't have to run your company the way other companies have always been run. And not only do you embody that, but you also offer, like, courses and so much incredible content on your podcast about that. And, like, for anyone who is interested in, in that, like, um, I know there's, like, the, the way you describe it as intuitive business and you have like the pillars of intuitive business. So could yeah. you mind like going over those for people who might be interested in
1: entrepreneurship, but haven't thought about it like that?
0: Before? Yeah, totally.
1: Totally. And like you said before, you know, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. And I would totally agree with that. I think it is glamorized and it, it like doesn't, it's not that sweet all the time, you know, like yeah. sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And, um, my only job is to like arm you with the tools and the resources that you need to make the best decision for yourself. And that decision might be, yeah, I want to run a kick-ass intuitive business or it might be, I want to work for someone else and I don't really want to run my own business. And, And that's cool too. But we talk about the four pillars and those pillars are growth, revenue, retention, and impact. And when you can sort of organize your business or your goals or your orientation in your work, Around those four pillars, I found it's really easy to see what your next steps are. And I know for me, when I first got started um, with holisticism, I was like, there's a million things to do. Like there's a million things I could get started with. Or even with the first company that I ran, which is a brick and mortar space, there was always a million things that I could be doing that would like be better, that would potentially move the business forward. And I found it really hard to prioritize what, what mattered. And often fig- figuring out your priorities doesn't mean like, oh, which of these options is going to get us the highest return. It's actually going back even more and understanding what your motivations are and what you're driven by and what you, what your desired outcome, what you want that to be. Right. So like, if I'm driven by the pil- the ideas of equity and inclusion and an anti-capital business that supports me and my community, I'm going to make really different decisions than being, I don't know, than like say growth for growth's sake, which is what VC venture-backed companies want, right? They just want to see like exponential growth, um, even if it means like dumping shit tons of money into their company in order to get that exponential growth. Um, They're going to make really different decisions than I'm going to make. And neither of our decisions are wrong. They're just... One is going to get you one outcome. The other is going to get you a, a different type of outcome. So looking at those pillars can be really helpful. And most people only look at two. They look at growth and they look at revenue. They look at how big their Instagram following is or how many, I don't know, clicks they have on their website and they look at their bottom line. And those aren't the only things that we should be thinking about and measuring when it comes to the, like the, the, the energy of our business and the how our business is regenerative or, or generative period, like how life-giving it is to us. Retention is a really important um, category that a lot of people don't look at when they first get started because it's really expensive to acquire new customers constantly, right? And we think about that a lot when we're growing. We're like, I just want to get more people. I just want to get more people. When in reality, if you can up your retention, if you can invest in the people who are already with you, if you can pour back into your community, I say that a lot, Um, that actually will end up helping your bottom line more. And and that's real community care. It's not just like sort of taking this extractive mindset or like one and done mindset or single serving or single use mindset that's so persistent in capitalism of like, well, once I use that customer, then they're dead to me or like, then our relationship is over. It's actually Mm -hmm. like, well, how can this be a regenerative relationship and experience between the two of us? How can we continue on beyond a, a singular transaction and actually like have something that, I don't know, is like mutually beneficial between each of us um, that supports both of us in different ways. Um, and then finally, impact is often like you know something that people think about at the very end of the year when they're paying their taxes, which is fine. Um, but I, I just wonder what it would look like if we centered impact in our business and we thought about the impact, that our work had. And it didn't have to be just giving away money. You know, your impact can be, I want to reach 10,000 people with my podcast this year to educate them on XYZ thing, right? Um, that would really help contribute to the other goals that you might have. And it would also be a like key driver for you, an emotional driver for you in reaching your goals that might feel just hollow otherwise, right? Like, oh, just getting 10,000 downloads for the sake of it, not so interesting but like helping 10,000 individual people um, live a better life and open up to a whole new world. Now that might be more energizing to you.
0: Okay. Um, this is so helpful. In
1: general. <laughs> <laughs> I think just being able to frame
0: things is really helpful for me as like a person. But I also think for anyone who's interested in, having like a business, but also even just a personal brand or like wor- working in their company or wants to apply these to see like if their company is doing that. It's very helpful to have these areas to think about what are you doing and why. And as I've like entered adulthood and a lot of my following has as well, it's like you have to You have every the power is in your hands, but it's also that's very daunting and that's also very exciting. And when you have a good framework like this to be able to reflect on and to make decisions with, I find it to be really, really helpful.
1: Yeah, and one thing that like I'm allergic to goals. I I don't (laughs) like them. You know, I I like was really into the smart goal thing in my early twenties because. I was like, I want to be you know, married by the time I'm this age and I want to buy a house and I want to do this and I want to be on Broadway and blah, blah, blah. Or I didn't ever want to be on Broadway, but like you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm too much of an introvert to be on Broadway, but I had all these like hollow goals of like things on a checklist that looked really good on paper, but like, did I actually want them? Per- no, they were just like things mm. that people told me were cool. And when I sort of explored them and excavated what was really underneath them, a lot of what was motivating me was the sort of like praise from other people or the, um, I don't know, accolades from others, how other people would look at me. And when I was able to like go a little bit deeper on myself and what motivated me, that changed my whole life. It changed the way that I approached everything. And it also made me feel like I could drop my goals, quote unquote, without feeling like I was lost. Because I think we, we we grab so hard onto goals because we're just floating in this ocean, right, of choice and possibility. And having a goal feels like a life raft, or at least it feels like, I don't know, some sort of map to get us somewhere so we're not just floating <laughs> in the abyss. Mm-hmm. And we almost like don't care that it's leading us in the wrong direction because at least we're going somewhere. We're like, well, I'm making... Traction, like I'm, I'm, I'm moving. So that must be good. And instead of feeling like I was completely adrift, when I knew how I wanted to feel and what mattered to me, I was able to actually like enjoy the drifting, you know, and and not feel scared because I could kind of see like, all right, this is how this thing is going to contribute to, I don't know, me acquiring this new skill, and like I might use that on the way to this goal that I. And holding loosely in my hands in the future, but either way, it's going to be interesting. It's going to like add to my bag of tricks and just like deepen my relationship with life and my experience of life. I don't know if that made sense.
0: No, it did, and it's actually the whole ethos of like my, my journey as well as like the podcast of being like too smart for this. What I say you're too smart for is to do things for other people and I think that's because I spent so much time trying to assimilate in more ways than one and then got to this place of like I have the quote dream job um mm. and I'm supposed to be like really happy in this or I'm supposed to be happy because I have a boyfriend or whatever and it's like that's just not actually how I want to feel and it's um very helpful to let go of that, like especially on a day-to-day basis at work, where it's like, I don't want to be my manager. I don't want to be here 10 years from now in this capacity. So when, so I can let go of that and just enjoy the second and know where it's going to take me, which is to be financially stable enough to do whatever I want to do at some other point. But yeah. it's really helpful to to know that you experienced that yourself. And so today when you are making decisions and you've obviously come so far with your business. What do you – how do you get back into that self-reflection or that creative space to like continue innovating if that's what you want to do? Mm.
1: It's not really something that I like actively think about because I kind of think it's autopilot – not autopilot, but it's just kind of second nature for me now is just to listen to my intuition. And like when I really feel called to something – especially if it's out of the blue. So I'll use a really current example. I just signed up for death doula training and um, being a death doula is some, you know, you're someone who guides um, a person through the experience of death and then you help and support their family, you know, before and after. And I had never been interested in that, you know, like that was not on my docket. Um, It's not like, I would say even like it's not something that I want to do professionally right now. I'm just really curious about the training and the experience and exploring this more, this idea of grief and death and life. And um, when it came out of the blue, it just like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that it was something that I wanted to do out of nowhere. And so my process was, okay, well, what is interesting about this? Is there Mm -hmm. something that's like bright and shiny that I'm like, ooh, this sounds cool, and I'm trying to, like, get my fix, and this sort of fits. Like, um, was I maybe just, like, wanting something new in my life? Was I maybe wanting to wanting mentorship? And so I'm searching for a mentor, and this is sort of the pathway that I can find one because I have to work with a deaf doula pretty closely in order to go through training. Am I looking for something else? Maybe I'm looking for um, some sort of emotional experience right now, and so I'm just reaching out for... Things that are highly emotional, um, and just kind of trying to figure out, like, well, what are my motives? Like, what's what's happening here? What's true? And is there potentially another way to get what I want that doesn't require this thing? Right? Just like that's a, I think a general good rule of thumb to put yourself through that process of like, well, how can I also get what I'm craving in a different way? Because because it opens you up to more experiences. And it also um, softens rejection, because it makes you realize that there's like more than one pathway to get the outcome that you want. Mm -hmm. But after really sitting with it, I was like, No, I think this is what I want to do. And um, I'm just I, I don't know where it will lead me. But I'm just really fascinated. And it's, it's the only thing that I can see right now that will sort of scratch that itch for me. And maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I'll do, you know, five weeks of it and I'll be like, deuces, I'm out. But, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe, you know, I'll shut down holisticism and become a full-time death doula. I doubt Mm -hmm. that that will happen. What will probably happen is I'll take a lot of learnings from this experience. I'll integrate them into how I teach and I'll become a better teacher for it and a better person for it. But um, that's kind of, the process of of integrating your intuition for me and and just always sort of course correcting really in really like in micro degrees right you don't need to have a take a full left hand turn um, to course correct you can just like gently sort of um, mm-hmm. steer in the right direction
0: absolutely you can and that's helpful it's like uh, I think we have this idea as a society that once you realize something is or isn't or maybe whatever is working for you then it's like we have to do it we have to replicate that process or we have to like it fails and we have to find something brand new out of nowhere whereas it's not always the case like you can find your goals in many different ways and they don't have to be one better than the other but you can also find like exactly you can also change what you want to do over time and you're not a failure for that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And and that realization, it might hit you like a ton of bricks, you know, like death mm-hmm. doula, or it might be a, just a slow waking up. Um, mm-hmm. Or I won't use that term because that's like a QAnon term now that's been kind of co-opted. But oh my like, God, no. I hate to say <laughs> No, we don't. We do not approve. Um, oh but like, yeah, it's a slow sort of realization of like, where you have sort of a thought drop in and you're like, oh, wait, this doesn't feel right okay, let me kind of like, let me sit with that. Let me percolate on that. And then you have another sort of idea drop in or, or, you know, just a moment where you're like, Hmm, I think that something is not quite right here. And again, it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to blow up your life, you know, in order to change your life, you can take small micro actions. Although like, I'm a huge fan of blowing up your life. I've blown up my life like three times. And, um, every time it was, it led to wonderful, magical things. I mean, I think that that's a great way to collapse the timeline if you want to get mm. things more quickly, um, if you want to see results more quickly, potentially with more ease, yeah, blowing up your life can be a really – can be like a, a cheat code in a way.
0: Yeah, for sure. But it's it's also good to know you don't have to if <laughs> yeah. you know. – Yeah, not necessary. Not necessary. But um, I have a Sagittarius stellium, so I foresee that happening to <laughs> me um,
1: very, very often. Oh, um, yeah. I bet you're really fun at parties, though. Uh, I think I am, you know, <laughs>
0: kind of uh, but speaking of like astrology and this self-reflection you're discussing, I know you have so many different tools that you use to do this. And I personally am a huge journaler and I've recently gotten into astrology and, um, I say recent, but I guess it's been like six months of consistency. Nice. What are your favorite tools for learning more about yourself and your intuition And then my last question will be about how you organize your life because everyone (laughs) needs to
1: know. Yeah. Well, I am sort of like a slut for tools. Um, I'm loving them all the time. Uh, Like I said, I'm, I, I love learning. So I'm constantly like pulling in information and seeing how things work for other people and trying to understand if they are valuable for me. But um, I think your tools really belong in your toolkit, right? And um, you don't need all of them all the time. Like e- sometimes all you need for a year is a hammer to like fix things in your apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And then one day you're like, oh, fuck, I need like a power tool. Like I need a yeah. I need like something legit to fix this. And that's when you go and you grab it. But you don't need that power tool every single day necessarily. So I have a lot of tools. I love um, I love astrology and just understanding astrology for – myself and and to relate to other people I think astrology is less predictive to me I, I find it less helpful to be predictive about it than it is to use it to have an empathy for the people around me and have empathy for myself um, mm-hmm. and when I can kind of understand like oh I might be rep- responding to this thing because I have Mars Taurus so right now I'm a little like I'm a little on edge or maybe right now I'm actually Really comfortable, that gives me more compassion for myself, which I don't know about you, but like I really lack compassion for myself most of the time. So, any tool, yeah, (laughs) any tool that helps me not be such an asshole to myself is a good one. Um, I'm such an, and have always been a really big fan of cards, whether they're oracle cards or tarot cards. I study Tarot de Marseille, which is an Italian form of tarot. Mm -hmm. original form of tarot. So I'm Italian and, um, I really like digging into your spiritual ancestry to look at the tools that you might know, you know, you might have some epigenetic understanding of and sort of innately respond and relate to. Um, I love relationships as a tool. I think relationships are like one of the best tools we can use to understand ourselves and to understand other people. Um, and I also read the Akashic records. So I'm a certified Akashic records reader. And that just means that, you know, I can open the records and spent a lot of time practicing it, but anyone can open their Akashic records. And basically the Akashic is a plane above this plane where everything that has happened will happen or is going to happen is sort of stored. It's like, you can think of it as the literal cloud, right? Where all the information exists. I love we,
0: that
1: analogy. <laughs> and we we plug into that cloud when we say the pathway process prayer when we access the records and when we ask questions we ask the cloud to retrieve that information for us so we go looking for it. Um, you have to know what you're looking for in order to get the most use of that cloud and of the data that's stored there. So we ask our Akashic records questions like, mm, when would be the best time to put this product on sale or what do my past lives have to tell me about my current relationship or um, what should my ideal daily schedule be to get my most work done or to be the healthiest when it comes to my work and our masters teachers and loved ones who are our spiritual team, they communicate that to us from the, from the records. You can think of them as like your translators for that information in the cloud. It's as if the, you know, as if the cloud was in code um, and they sort of translate it into actual language that you can speak and understand. So um, I really love that. I, I mean, like, I love everything. I'm always trying new things. And um, I have an altar. I have, my house is, well, everyone's house is technically an altar, if you think about mm-hmm. it. But um, I have specific altars set up in my house with my partner um, to different things. We have like an ancestor altar and um, a money altar and a love altar. And um, those are all things that we like contribute to every day that are sort of tools that are humming in the background for us.
0: Wow. I love all of this. It's like so many, so much of it I hadn't really heard of like less than like a year ago. And so it's so (laughs) cool. It's so cool to learn more about all this and the potential tools. And um something you've said a lot on your podcast is like take what you like and leave what you don't. And I think that's the important thing to say here is like you don't have to do all of these things to feel like oh you know, yeah, intuitive. And um, but I am interested to try the Akashic Records myself.
1: You should. They're so easy to open and anyone can do it. You just say the Pathway Process Prayer. And I think if you go to holisticism.com backslash Akashic dash records, we have the prayer up, and you can just download it for free. But yeah, like you said, you know, I don't use the records every single day. I use them when I need them. And I find that the more I know my intuition, the more I trust my intuition, the less I need tools. Um, It's really mostly now when I'm in moments of crisis or just like really being confused that I'll turn to my tools, really looking for more information. Often when I use them, it's for, it's out of pleasure, right? It's out of like, it's like praying, you know, cause it's, I'm not praying to ask for something. I'm just like praying to commune, um, and connect and, and that's a different feeling. Absolutely.
0: Oh, I aspire to have this intuitiveness in oh. my future. So I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> before I, we wrap this up. I would love to know your, so I love your Monday hour one. Um, Yay. Oh, and I'm I so glad. The I tried it this week and it's really, it gives me so much peace to like be able to go to bed on Monday. And yes, there's a lot of stuff to do, but I know when it's going to get done and that's lovely. So do? How do you structure your morning and your evening
1: um, to, you know, get
0: everything done that you have to get done? Oh,
1: that's a great question. Um, I'm definitely, like, notion dependent. That is for sure. Um, I also will say that, like, my relationship to work ebbs and flows a lot depending – Like, my work is not the most important thing to me. My life is the most important thing to me. So um, – <laughs> Being with my husband, being with our friends, being with my family, like, and my, my own health, that's more important than my work. So, um, what I like to do is wake up in the morning. My partner is usually asleep. He sleeps really late because um, he's. So he nice. to. <laughs> it's like, how do you guys do that? Like, what's it like? It must be so nice have for to you. i him out at 9 a.m. <laughs> he's,
0: he's out of control. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I I usually like to get my work done, a lot of work done in the morning. So I'll I'll typically like take my dog out, go into my garden, and just like connect with. <laughs> this sounds so hippie, so LA, but like connect with nature and just like it's a backyard. It's not like Nature Valley, but like I grow plants and like I you know look at them and see what they're up to and make sure that they're tended to, and then make my coffee in the morning or my matcha, whatever I'm drinking at the moment right now I'm experimenting with coffee and L-theanine because my body's been having a really bad response to coffee. I've been like, Mm. I'm missing my periods because of it. It's so weird. Mm. So um, L-theanine is supposed to help with like caffeine being less of a stimulant that makes you feel crazy and and, giving you a more even sort of like elevated feeling. Mm. Um, And then I'll jam on work. I'll I'll usually look at my Monday hour one and kind of see what my my biggest task of the day is the one big thing is what I like to call it, that I absolutely, if I don't do anything else in my day, what's the one thing that would be like, whew, okay, this saved the day. This like actually moved the needle forward in my life. And usually it's not like sending an email and it's not like, or getting through a bunch of emails. It's usually like I need to read this article or like I need to have a phone call with this person or I need to like, Get this story up on the website or whatever it might be. It's much smaller than I normally think it's probably going to be. And that helps me get focused because, you know, the one thing that I've learned and really struggled with while having a team is that when I was by myself, I could do whatever I wanted. But um, as I have a team and our community grows, I'm responsible for those people and their well being. And sometimes that means that I have to hop on a two hour phone call with one of my members of my team to talk them through something. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that means that I need to be and hold space for a community member and that throws my whole day off. Sometimes that means that the best thing that we can do um, is actually get together. I need to like take someone out for coffee and make sure that they're okay. And um, so, like, my to do list is usurped by like being a human. And I'm, I'm really okay with that at this point in my life because, again, prioritization. I know like what the most important things are, and I can do those needle-moving tasks, those important things. I don't feel like my to-do list is a tyrant and that every single thing matters so much because the truth is they don't. There are only really a few big things that I have to do that I have to get done, and I can make the space for those things. So um, my middle of my day looks really different depending on what's going on in the business. And then I usually stop working around six, um, five or six, and I make dinner and I sort of unwind, but that's, Monday through Thursday Fridays. I I really like to have a really flexible day. So I'll often stop working at like noon and then just take care of myself and read and catch up on stuff. And maybe even like go visit somewhere if I can, um, or be with someone. I like to take breaks called speed bumps because I'm such like a, when I put my head down, I, I tend to just like steamroll. Um, and so I need a little speed bump every now and then to remind me to be human and that's so often like what my team does so if when they say they need me or they need my help. um, mm-hmm. That's a speed bump. But also sometimes it's like, oh, I need a speed bump date. Like I need to like, go meet a friend for coffee or I need to like pull my head out of my butt and like call my husband and like make sure that he's good and give mm-hmm. him some attention. So yeah, I feel like I just word spaghetti on you. Does that make sense?
0: No, you did not word spaghetti. I I'm honestly, I just visualizing because I want to be able to do this with my time. So (laughs) Um, so, no, that's really helpful to just think about. Um, I really like what you said about like your to-do list will be usurped by being a human. Like there's no like thing that is going to be more important. Like I think about that a lot at work. It's like um, we're not – like, I don't know, solving the big problems in the world when we're like sending these emails. and Exactly.
1: Exactly. And like sometimes it needs to get done, especially as a business grows. But so often if we get like lost in that, then we like lose the magic of what we're here to do. So I'm just constantly trying to remind myself and find the balance between like, yes, the admin tasks and talking to my accountant and, you know, doing the shit that needs to get done. And also like, where's the magic in this? Cause the magic lives in magic lives in the mundane. Magic doesn't live in like, a, a, or I should say it doesn't exclusively live in the circles and the shamanic experiences and the, um, the crazy, you know, the wildness magic mm. is, it is in your garden in the morning. It is in washing the dishes. It is when you're, sitting in line for coffee and you get that tap on your shoulder from muse or from your intuition or something that says take a different route to work today like that is magic and we so often i think in the spiritual space we blow it out to be magic can only be done when you have tarot cards and an altar and candles and all the things when in reality magic is in every moment of our lives and we get to choose it and we get to we get to turn the volume up on it when we when we decide and it just requires just a little bit more attention.
0: Wow. I feel like that's a beautiful thing for us to wrap up on. Um, (laughs) But the one final question I ask everyone is um, to finish this sentence with something that you want young people to know, or really anyone. You are too smart for...
1: Hmm... (sighs) you're too smart for purity culture
0: oh girl we have there's so much to discuss (laughs) oh my goodness you unlocked you unlock new level unlocked (laughs) oh goodness too much to get in uh, i came grew up in an extreme an extreme culture like that so that's crazy Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'm so, so excited to have this episode go live. Could you tell everyone where they can find you and your company?
1: Yes, and thank you for having me. My, uh, You can find me at Michelle Pelzon on Instagram and Holisticism at Holisticism, um, and you can hear our podcast, which we kind of referenced in, in this episode, and more about what we do um, Our podcast is the 12th house on wherever you can find podcasts and yeah. And sign up for our email newsletter and join our free community, the holisticism hub. It's got a great group of like thousands of people who sort of bridge the witchy and the wonderful world of being a human. And, uh, it's a really cool group. So yeah, thanks for having me. This was so fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes below and check me out on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Alexis Barber. If you love the episode, please rate and review and follow us at you Are Too Smart for This on Instagram for more content all about self-love, self-reflection, and tips for living your best life. Have a wonderful day.